The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to the Data Reaper podcast. We're back with episode number five. Uh, I am Ridiculous Hat, a class expert and writer for Vicious Syndicate, and I am joined as always by our editor, Zacho. How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. Uh, looking forward to talking about, well, I guess the new face of Demon Hunter and then some wish list items for next expansion. Before we get into that, some housekeeping. Uh, we are on iTunes now. We are on Apple, so please subscribe to us on whatever platform you like, including iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter as well or on Discord to know when the next episodes are going to drop as well as when more Vicious Seneca content will be coming out. We just published a report this past weekend. Uh, the next report will be on Thursday the 9th, and the next podcast will be a couple days after that. You should be hearing this. We're releasing this on Tuesday, June 30th, so it's going to be a little bit over a week before uh, we return to our normal schedule and release on Thursday the 9th for the report and Saturday the 11th for the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about, well, Demon Hunter again. That's going to be the topic for a while, but there's a new list that Zach has developed that we definitely want to get into. We are going to talk about the forgotten classes, Paladin and Shaman, why they're bad, what they're missing. And then the next expansion, it's on the horizon. We're going to go over our wish list and which archetypes are on the very cusp of potentially being playable. So to start, we want to talk about the new face of Demon Hunter, and that is Amani Berserker. That is the new face of Demon Hunter. Zach, how did you come up with this Enrage Demon Hunter decklist, and what's the... What's the difference in the matchups that you're seeing from it? Yeah, well, I didn't come up with a money berserker. Obviously, I looked at the data. the The reason why a money berserker popped up is there was a list that came from uh, the China Gold Championship uh, that ran uh, two money berserkers and two guardian og merchants, and the list itself wasn't particularly good because. It ran only one twin slice and ran no altruist. So the late game damage really uh, wasn't all there. But I was really impressed with how Amani Berserkers performed in the early game. And how Guardian Og Merchants performed alongside the Berserkers and the Brawlers. So we kind of did some, some internal evaluation of the deck. Estimating what, what kind of things Amani Berserker helps provide to Demon Hunter, and the conclusion was that the card is nuts. And after publishing the report on Sunday, I also had a chance to look at people who have net-decked us and played with this list. And let me tell you, Amani Berserker is a top card in the deck. <laughs> How crazy is that? 2020 gets stranger. And Guardian Og Merchant is the best card in the deck. <laughs> My goodness. It's just, the this Enrage package is just delivering on a scale that I really did not expect um, because it just deals so much damage in the early game. So here's what Demon Hunter is good at, right? We know that Demon Hunter has really consistent late game damage, really strong reach uh, with the Warglaves, with the Metamorphosis, Kane, Skull Gul'dan means you always have resources and damage in hand. And, of course, the Altruist. So all Demon Hunter needs to do is stick things in the early game and do chip damage. Put the opponent low enough that the late game will take care of the rest. And a Money Berserker Og Merchant is the kind of combo that just deals can deal so much damage in the early game and is very awkward for a lot of classes to remove. You have... Uh, the stickiness that usually you don't have in a Demon Hunter list, because if they have removal, if they can kill your stuff, then they have a better chance of stabilizing and they have a better chance of outlasting your late game damage. But if um, Namani Berserker hits face twice while being enraged, and the game is pretty much over for a lot of matchups. So it's a, it's a big threat. It allows Demon Hunter to just snowball more consistently. Because the early game is all about snowballing. So let's just add more things that snowball. And, you know, I'm looking at how it affects matchups. And it seems like a perfect fit for the new iteration of Twin Slice. Because Twin Slice is weaker early game. 
So, you know, an Overseer on Curve is not as powerful. A Battle Fiend one is not as powerful. Adapt on 5 on Curve is, again, something that is hampered unless you also have Umberwing equipped. So you kind of want more things to do in the early game that can threaten the opponent. If you can play a 2-drops, a couple more 2-drops, and just on turn 3 you can 2-drop into a Sidekick Arc Merchant or 2-drop Hero Power, then curve out into an Overseer on 4, then, you know, the Overseer is a little bit slower, but it follows up another threat that the opponent needs to deal with. And if the opponent needs to deal with a Brawler or, or a Berserker on 3, then he's less likely to be able to deal with an Overseer on 4. So when I look at the matchups, I'm, like, really impressed. So one of the things that I was concerned about um, making these changes is the cutting of I-beams. I-Beam is a card that I have been very resistant into ever cutting from Demon Hunter because of its importance in the mirror. It's just a really big swing in, in health and in terms of the board. So whenever you cut I-Beam, you lose a lot of percentages in the mirror. The question is, is the early game consistent enough? Is adding Berserker, is running two Guardian Aug Merchants, which is really helpful in early trades, helps you snowball the mirror. Uh, is that enough? to offset the loss of I-Beam, and all the indications point out that the answer is yes, that you actually don't lose the mirror. Maybe even you have an edge in the mirror, because, you know, if they I-Beam a two-drop, you still trade one for one, you still have the initiative, you're still pushing pushing the damage. And, and, and the I-Beam itself is not enough. You need the I-Beam and the development behind it to, to swing back. But since your early game is more consistent by running more early game minions, you usually carry an advantage. Um, so in the mirror, all indications are you lose nothing, which means you just have a net gain in other matchups. Now, one of the most impressive matchups is Druid. Like, Druid is absolutely miserable against Amani Berserkers. You, you, you Guardian a, a Berserker or a Brawler, and they just die. You do so much damage in the early game that they just... It's just that much more difficult for them to stabilize afterwards. Also, a lot of druids run claw. So if you play a 2-drop with 3 health, they can't actually kill it on curve with a claw. They need to run wrath, which is a card they usually don't want to run. So you have that snowballing early game that becomes that much more intimidating with 2 garden arc merchants, which are insane. And the berserkers make it that you just have so much blowout potential in the early game that makes it that much easier for you to finish things off in the late game with your with your damage and reach. Hunter is another class that, you know, not running I-Beam, you would think that it hurts you, but all the stickiness from the Og Merchant and the awkward minions that they need to remove, they don't have good removal. If you put something with a, a Divine Shield on something, it's very awkward for the Hunter to, to deal with it. They usually need to spend a Zephyrus or like a Desert Spear in order to be able to deal with it. And obviously the deck is not that consistent in, in drawing these cards because it's a Highlander deck. Which means you just have more ways to just blow them out of the game early. Now obviously they can have their best cards on curve every turn, which is how they win. But often that is not the case and you just... The, the loss of I-Beam, which is a big swing in the Hunter matchup... It's just offset by the fact that your early game is more consistent. Other matchups, I can just go over all of them. Yeah, the one that I felt the biggest difference was Rogue, honestly. Because Seal Fade and Backstab just get completely turned off by this if you're able to get the, the two drop out quickly enough. And the extra pressure early, it matters so much. Yeah, uh, the Rogue is just... Og Merchant is an insane card against Rogue because whenever you... On turn three, you can just two drop Og Merchant... And what did they do? Do they seal fade the 2-1? They take so much damage from the Brawler and the Berserker. It just makes it really awkward for them. And if they play a Miscreant, it just doesn't trade favorably. You just go face with the either the Brawler or the Berserker and force them to trade. Usually they have to stab it with their dagger. They have to stab the Divine Shield minions, which means they take so much damage. Like So having two Arg Merchants in that matchup, just disabling their backstabs and their seal fade, makes it very, very awkward for them. Or like a matchup like Mage, where they have the ping, but if they waste two mana in pinging a Divine Shield, they just they just lose. I think I I, I played this deck around I don't know fifty games. The the moment I 
I managed to build it through the data analysis. I took it to ladder, played like 50 games. I think I went like 7-0 against Mage because every time you play Berserker and you Og Merchant it, they just, it's just over. They, they don't have the means to, to stabilize. They don't have the means to remove it. You, you do kind of have to worry about Doomsayer, but so often I play Berserker and then they play Doomsayer and I just Guardian it. I just buff it and kill the Doomsayer. And they, have, they stare down a 5-2 with Divine Shield. That usually deals 10 to the mage and they have no healing so your late game is just that much easier to 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 finish the mage off it's just so that's another matchup that i i honestly didn't expect it to be that dramatic the improvement in the mage matchup but there is now two matchups that i've noticed that people might not be um playing as well as they could is the priest matchup the priest matchup is honestly should be a good matchup i've had really good experience with it but what people, I think a mistake that people are doing is that they're playing too quickly and too impatiently. In general, this matchup is a matchup that improves at higher levels for the Demon Hunter. Mm. Good Demon Hunter players do better against Priests than, you know, more beginners or intermediate players. Because um, what the Demon Hunter needs to do is play patiently. Keep Skull in the mo, and weave in hero powers and play uh, the amount of threats that necessary to bait removal, but don't play into a blowout removal. Don't play too hard into their breath. Don't play too hard into their shadow madness. Usually an overseer will bait out a breath by itself. You don't need to commit more. And your late game damage, you just need to trust it. As long as you have skull and you have reload tools, what you need to worry about is having enough resources in hand so you don't run out of cards because the moment you run out of cards... They can develop, and then they pressure you and went through apotheosis and things like that. So you keep them off the board. You kill their minions. You try their make, to make their apotheosis as awkward and as possible and play a patient game where you adapt their face, Warglaves they face. They, you, know, you wither them down, and eventually Metamorphosis and Altruist will do the job with the skulls. Uh, you just need to play the matchup more patiently than you're used to Weave in your threats and your hero power, and that gets the job done. And also, Berserker Og Merchant is fantastic against them. You do that on three, they, it's just very awkward for them to deal with it. They just can't. So usually they, they just take the damage to face and, and have to spend resources trying to recover from that. Um, so play the matchup patiently. Keep Skull in the Mole. Really? Skull in the Mole? Keep Skull in the Mole against Priest. And don't worry, they can be at 30 health on turn 5. Don't panic. That's the thing. Don't try to rush them down. This is the mistake people make. They try to rush them down because they panic that they have to kill the priest. Demon Hunter can take it a little bit slower in the matchup and still deal enough damage to kill the priest because the priest doesn't have card draw. It relies on random generation in order to be able to develop. And if you deny Apotheosis value, it's just very awkward for them. Often I just... Let them apotheosis when I have lethal anyway. So they have to like desperately apoth uh, cast apotheosis on a small minion, heal a little bit, but you know metamorphosis and and warglaive still do the job. Uh, so just make it as awkward as possible for them and make for force them to get as little value from their removal as possible because your adapt is gonna get shadow ward death. It's gonna get time rip. It's not gonna live, but it still deals four. <laughs> Deals five with the hero power. So slowly and surely, you do chip them down. Sometimes they have everything, and there's nothing you can do about it. But you gotta play the matchup patiently. As for the warrior matchup, is another matchup that that's the most difficult matchup. It's definitely you're definitely on favorite no matter what demon hunter deck you play. But one of the mistakes people make in this matchup is that they overtrade. If they have skipper and they use skipper to clear your board. Trading into their Sky Raiders is usually not a good move. You gotta push as much damage as possible to face because oftentimes the the game is decided by that, you know, that one swing that you hit a minion instead of hitting face and you missing just that bit of damage before they manage to stabilize. If they have Skipper Armorsmith, that's how they win. You can't worry about that. But if they use if you force them to use Skipper without Armorsmith, as a desperation to just clear your board, that's when you're in a good shape. You can reload with Skull Gudan, keep pushing the damage, 
as long as they don't skip or armorsmith and gain a bunch of health while clearing the board, you can still do work. Just like you do work with priests, they can clear all of your minions. Your minions can never hit face. I have had games where the against priests, my minions never hit face. And I still won because Warglaives, Adapt, Battlecry, Metamorphosis, Kane, Altruist just kills them. So you gotta try to make it awkward for the warrior. They also cannot deal with Og Merchant very well. If you get a Brawler Berserker off with an Og Merchant or buff it with Sidekick, it makes it more difficult for them in the early game to deal with you. Uh, because often they just play Cash on 2. So you play a Berserker or Brawler, they play a Cash on 2, and then you Og Merchant. And then they have to equip the weapon on 3, but what do they punch? Makes it very awkward for them. So just try to make it awkward for them. Try to force, again, the Skipper without the Armor Smith. That's a good sign for you. And push as much damage as possible to face. Don't waste damage into small minions when that damage can really, really matter. You gotta face the Warrior. Push face, take the risks. If you get blown out by an armor smith, you get blown out. But sometimes that's the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I do think that we will notice and miss that second Frozen Shadow Weaver in the Warrior matchup because it feels so nice to hit them into the cash turn. But instead of freezing their face, we just make a 5-2 with Divine Shield, and that seems almost good enough. Exactly. You you nullify, you nullify their weapon, but in another way. Instead of just disabling the weapon for one turn... You just give them a Divine Shield minion that's really awkward to remove. And that kind of makes the weapon useless by itself, right? Yeah. And we hit them back with our own weapon as well. Warglaze of Azanoth, I think, is a card that deserves as much conversation as possible because it's it's emerged since, I think, after nerf number two, but before nerfs three and four as actually the linchpin of the Demon Hunter deck. And the reason I'm bringing it up specifically as well is because there is a new control demon hunter deck that leans even more into warglaives than the aggro demon hunter list but i'm not sold on this control demon hunter list have you have you you've run the numbers is there a reason to play this no <laughs> okay well the thing is i don't know for sure if this deck is garbage what i do know is that this deck is performing very poorly uh, the main issue with the deck is the late-game win condition. I mean, I can totally understand why it's built the way it is, because you're just basically playing the control game, and you have the late-game damage with the Warglaze, with the Metamorphosis and such. The problem is you don't have the early-game chip damage, which means your late-game damage, often you need to kill people from 30 um on turn six seven and like in every matchup because you don't have minions you don't have pressure yeah sometimes you get the mctheriton off and that can be like a big swing but you don't have reliable early game damage and your late game damage is not enough to get people from 30 to zero you do need some strong early game to be able to pressure the the package itself the shell itself is very intriguing the moog artificer with the lifesteal spells it's a really cool deck and it's also fun to play. Uh, the problem is that the late game win condition is not there. Not quite there. It's almost like a freeze made deck, but you don't really have an Alexstrasza. You can't not play Alexstrasza because you're doing chip damage early anyway with the Warglaves. You kind of want to punch them in the face, which makes Alexstrasza useless. And you can't really use expensive minions because they just make your skull get stuck in hand, right? They get they rot in your hand and they deny your skull outcast. So it's very awkward to add like a win condition that makes sense in that deck. So the deck just ends up being very awkward. Um, and obviously we put it in tier 4 because that's what it win rate is. It just doesn't perform very well at all. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of Kingsbane Rogue except the Warglaves don't shuffle themselves back in. And uh, you kind of need that additional damage. And just looking at the matchup spread... It's, I agree it's a really cool deck, and I've seen some people trying out as well Imprisoned Entain, which is kind of cool if you can get it to work as kind of an extra, not early game pressure, of course, but as kind of a win condition, just a lot of damage in one package. But because the deck has so few minions, it's not really hard for uh, your opponent's removal to be live for every threat you have. Looking at the matchup spread, we beat Priest, about the same as Aggro Demon Hunter. We lose to Enrage Warrior, about the same as Aggro Demon Hunter. 
We can never beat a control warrior ever. That matchup is uh, showing on the live dashboard right now is 81% favored for the control warrior. And otherwise, our matchup spread is just worse across the board in every matchup. And those two outlaw, those two significant matchups, Priest and, and Enrage Warrior, were the same as the regular aggressive list. So the upside, the reason to play it is because it's different and not because it adds any, any specific value that I can see. Yeah, you just don't have early game. And your late game damage is not enough to just kill opponents by itself. So that's what happens. As I said, the shell is kind of cool. It's, it plays differently. It's like it's novel. It's an interesting way to play Demon Hunter. But it's not good because... You know, you, you play the Pillagers in order to revive the Warglaves of Azanoth, but the damage is just too slow. It, it can be out-healed, the control warrior just out-heals it. It just doesn't work out that well. And then against Enrage Warrior, you just seize the board. Uh, you just let them do whatever they want. And sometimes they just kill you, because <laughs> you, you don't have any ability to challenge the board very aggressively. So it's very important to have the early game that Agro Demon Hunter have in order to allow the late game damage that, that's very, very powerful to just kill people from 50. That's good enough. Killing people from 30, not so much. Yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, Maybe we should run Alexstrasza. Is that what you're saying? As I said, it doesn't make sense to run Alexstrasza because you want to equip Warglaves and start pushing damage to face. You, you hit them anyway. You're not like super passive, freeze mage, do nothing, and then put them at 15. You, you want to push damage with your weapon early on, and the Alexstrasza just kills your Skullgul then. You cannot afford to run expensive win conditions in a deck that runs Skull because once it gets stuck... Like, Zephyrus is bad enough. Yeah. Like Zephyrus is... It's not a good card in that deck. A lot of people play Zephyrus in this Control Demon Hunter, but it actually performs atrociously. You, It just gets stuck in your hand, and often you just need to get rid of it in order to enable your Skull. Uh, you can't just leave it in your hand and not run Skull, not play Skull. Um, so it just doesn't work out that well. Um, but it's interesting. It will be interesting to see. Maybe next expansion, this shell can house something that makes sense, but it doesn't seem to be the case right now. I did try Antian. They were pretty cool. They were, I felt like they were kind of good. But again, if you don't have other things that force removal before you play the Antian, then, and you don't have pressure. So if they're ahead on the board and you play Antian, it doesn't do that good of a job, right? And then it just gets removed. So you fall behind, you play Antian. When you fall in behind, it doesn't, you know, you want the Antian to push the face damage. You don't want the Antian to clear. You already have good board clears. The key is to push the face damage. Yeah. that's And that's what Demon Hunter's about right now. It's Right now, there are quite a few classes, I think, that have really one thing they can do well and other things they feel like they should be able to do and can't as much. Uh, Demon Hunter can't really play control all that much right now. And there are some classes that they can't even do anything well. Which I guess is our cue to talk about wah wah, paladin, and shaman. So we should talk about these classes. We talked a little bit before the show. Paladin does seem a lot closer to being a real thing than shaman does, but why what what are they both missing? Why are they both not really a thing, this expansion? Yeah, so Paladin is actually close, as I said. Merlock Paladin is performing at a very competitive level right now. Uh, I am a bit concerned that once Demon Hunter rises in popularity again and Warrior rises in order to answer the Demon Hunters, then that kind of kills Murloc Paladin standing in the field because it has a horrid matchup uh, against them. Uh, Demon Hunter and, and Warrior right now very much limit the ability of aggro decks to compete because it's very hard to develop into Risky Skipper as an aggro deck especially with the Armorsmith. I mean, if Demon Hunter can't beat Enrage Warrior, then an aggro deck that doesn't have the insane damage and reach in the late game that Demon Hunter does, and it completely is board-reliant, is of course going to get stomped. Uh, so um, Paladin, as I said, it's close, but it's missing a few things. Murloc Paladin right now performs at a Tier 2 level. It's probably going to fall off once what I said is going to happen. Um... But both Paladin and Shaman kind of have similar issues. And when I mean similar issues, they're kind of similar classes when you think about how they're viewed. Uh, their early game is usually tribalistic. 
It's usually very board-centric and synergy-based. So their aggressive decks are usually synergy-based. And what synergy means is that both Paladin and Shaman need to have stuff on the board in order to make their optimal turns. You need to play something and have it stick. Murlocs are a tribe that relishes having stuff to stick and then buff. If you manage to remove whatever the Murloc Paladin develops, then you're playing against an arena deck. They have vanilla minions they, they, that do nothing or do subpar plays when there's not something on the board. If a Felfin Navigator doesn't have Murlocs on the board, it's a 4-mana four 4-4. Four, four. If a Cold Light Seer doesn't have Murlocs on the board, it's a 3-mana two 2-3, and so on. So if you're facing a deck that has good early game removal that can just chip at your synergy-centric minions, then you're just doing nothing. And Demon Hunter is in the format, Warrior is in the format, Rogue's in the format, and all these classes excel at picking off synergy-based aggressive decks that need stuff on the board to stick. And Shaman is the same thing. When you think about what is the most viable or close to being viable uh, early game deck that Shaman has, it's Totem Shaman. And again, you need the totems to stick. If they die, then you cannot cast Totemic Reflection. You cannot snowball. If you're playing these decks against Druid, you're going to have a good time. If you're playing these decks against like something that's super passive and doesn't do anything in the early turns, your board development is not hampered. It's Nobody's interfering with what you do. So Melloc Paladin and Totem Shaman stomp Druid. But whenever they play a deck that aggressively contests the board and says, uh-uh, you're not going to do this, I'm not going to allow this, then they kind of fall off. So that's the problem with Paladin and Shaman's early game. It's just not explosive enough. It's too synergistic based. That lines up very poorly against the dominant early games, uh, early game decks of the current meta. When you talk about the late game, again, they also miss similar things. One thing is card draw. They don't have good card draw. This also affects their aggressive decks. But when you're playing a late game strategy that usually relies on drawing a few pieces in order to win the game, not having card draw reduces the consistency of whatever you're aiming for. And you just end up being this half-and-half half deck that's kind of forced to pressure because its late game falls off, is outclassed by other classes, but you don't really have a button to press that says, I win, right? Um, which leads me to the next problem, which is that Galakron Shaman got heavily nerfed, and now it doesn't have Shadow Walk anymore, so it doesn't have that late game button of I win right now, that inevitability. It doesn't have a way to force the issue. And similarly to Paladin, the Libram package is really strong. It's strong. A Libram of uh, Wisdom, Livermore, of Hope are all good cards. Hope gives you recovery and a big swing. Justice gives you insane removal. And Wisdom is incremental value. But Wisdom, which is the card that you know Paladin kind of counts on to win in the late game, is not consistent enough. It's not intimidating enough. Yes, you can start stacking them with Liadrin, but you need to draw the Liadrin. You don't have card draw. And even if you do generate a lot of Librum of Wisdoms that cost zero, opponents can deal with it. It's nowhere near as explosive, as powerful, and as intimidating as a fully upgraded Galakorn Rogue, a fully upgraded Galakorn Priest, Enrage Warrior Burst Damage, Druids Turn 7, and so on. So you don't really have late-game finishers that can compete with these other classes. And when you look at Shaman, it's even in a worse state. It's got absolutely nothing. So what ends up happening is they end up playing Highlander Shaman. Most control Shamans are Highlander Shamans right now. Because they're saying, if I don't have a button to press that can win me the game and provide inevitability, I might as well run Zephyrus. It can give me a Savage Roar or some other form of burst damage that can help me finish the game. Or I can play Dragon Queen Alexstrasza, which is a card that can win games by itself. So they're kind of forced to play Highlander, but you don't have the third payoff. You're not very consistent. Your removal package is good, but removal is useless against something like Galakorn Rogue and Galakorn Prince, which have infinite resources, basically. So 
they both have flaws flaws in the early game and the late game, which prevents decks from either side of the spectrum to, to look very competitive. Paladin is closer. It has decks that look polished and just missing some power. They're not missing the synergies. They're not missing the shell. They're missing power. Shaman is more about finding a real deck to play because the totem shaman doesn't really have enough totems. The control shamans, again, they don't have a good plan. They, what do you do? Do you play Elysiana? It's not really viable. So that's the issue that they run into right now on ladder. And hopefully they they get the fixes that they need to, to be able to compete. But this is what they're missing. So you're saying Lady Vosh is just not going to get there. That's what I'm hearing. Lady Vosh is a very upsetting card. Very upsetting card. It's one of the only primes that the initial body is undersized. You're playing a 3-mana 4-3, so it's not even a good minion. to. It's not like Akama, for example, or like or Kargath, which have good stats for their cost. They're Boulder Fist Ogres. They have good stats for their cost, but Lady Vash is a 3-mana 4-3. That's not good. And then in the late game, you play her, and it's worse than Wondrous Wand. It's it's worse than Rogue Galakrond. It's worse than Wondrous Wand. Why can't... When you have to play a 3-mana 4-3... And we're not talking Frozen Shadow Weaver here. This doesn't have an immediate impact. If you're not playing it with some other spell, it's 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 actually just blank. Then you have to shuffle it in, and then you have to draw it in a class with no card draw, and the card still costs mana. Whereas Rogue is just like, Galakrond, play all my stuff. And I'm not saying that more class need to be like 0-mana cards like Rogue is. I'm not... Please don't don't do that, Blizzard. Um, but I am surprised at how bad the payoff is. You just get to you get to farsight three spells, assuming there are spells spells still left in your deck. I am amazed at what is missing from Shaman's late game. There, it just feels so underwhelming by design. I don't really get it. It's basically Skull of Gul'dan. Like yeah. they play a prime that's undersized. They don't have card draw to get it, and then their reward is a worse Skull of Gul'dan. Like Pretty that incredible. is so bad when you think about it like that. It's it's just yeah it's just there's no inevitability like you need um, shaman to have something that says oh you better kill me right now before I get to this part wait until I get to this part and then I'm really good it just doesn't have it so when we saw the buffs that they gave that you know team five gave shaman they they buffed the removal and shaman's removal is already okay uh, that's not the problem with shaman the problem with shaman is it doesn't have a way to win. To actively win. When you're playing a control deck and you don't have a way to actively win, you're going to lose to the other control decks that do have an active way to win. Because if both, you know, if both decks just sit around and wait to a turn, eventually the one deck that has an active way to win will will win. We'll do it. So that's what a Shaman is missing. It's missing something that it can aim towards. It has the ability to survive to whatever that is, it just doesn't have that button. Yeah, and something like Walking Fountain, or even if we went the wild direction at it in Scrapyard Colossus, it, it wouldn't really be enough, considering that in standard taunts are actually worse because there are so many more canes, and getting to 10 mana is also very ambitious, especially considering if you get to 10 mana, Druid probably got there three turns ago and filled the board with with dragons or beasts or whatever. Uh, it's just it's so hard to navigate all the different challenges of standard without the tools. They got to t turn 10 about three turns ago, and they also already drew like 80% of their deck. Yeah. By the time you get to a, a 10 mana. Yeah, so it's just like Shaman just needs more proactivity, more ways to actively finish the game, more ways to force the issue. And same for Paladin. It's got a, Paladin's got the shell. It's got a good shell that can house a win condition. It just doesn't have that kind of win condition to just really force the issue, which is, by the way... The reason why we have Blessed Champion in our Pure Paladin, we actually run advocate running Blessed Champion just because it gives you some burst alongside your Liberum Wisdom to actually kill somebody. And that can give you an out in matchups like Rogue and Priest where it's very, very difficult for you to finish games. To look up what that card does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the that's the yeah the double your attack. Uh, it's, yeah, double double your attack. I I so you play a lot. You stack wisdoms. You stack wisdoms, and you you have a burst finisher. 
Wow. It, the card is terrible, but that's... But what are you going to do? Your Paladin is that desperate to finish games. It's that desperate of a deck to be able to finish games. It's pretty good at the defensive part. It can it can take punches. Librem of Hope is very good. Librem of Justice allows you to clear boards. It just cannot... It's got the ferocity of a sloth. It's a quote from the previous report about Shaman. It just doesn't kill people. It doesn't try to actively end games. Paladin classic set, by the way. It's. I mean, this has been discussed many times. We talked about this, I think, even the last episode. But the the classic set dumpster duty rotation that Paladin and Shaman seem to be picking up right now. Uh, and we were worried going into the set about Druid. There are a few classes that they really, really need cards from expansions because their classic set is so weak. This is something I also learned from listening to uh, Blister Guy's podcast, Walk to Work, that the basic and classic Paladin set combined has four total minions. Four. Which is, it has fewer minions than it has secrets, which is, it probably speaks to a lot of the lack of options that Paladin has available. What should the classic set be doing here for these classes that it's failing at? Yeah, so dumpster duty is exactly the term I would describe it. Is there are a few classes, uh, druid joined them, but it's like it's like priest, warlock, paladin, and shaman, and then druid kind of joined in when they nerfed wild growth and nourish. Uh, what happens to these classes is if an expansion whiffs or a couple expansion whiff and the synergies don't work out, then they're in danger of just being unplayable. And I feel like other classes like warrior, like rogue have better foundations that they can kind of tap into. They have enough decent cards that if they're missing something from expansions, they can compensate for it with the classic and basic set. While Paladin has this set that's kind of a bunch of nothing that you really can If you don't have, you know, card draw in the expansions, good card draw, then there's just nothing. What do you play? You're playing Lay on Hands? Nobody's going to play Lay on Hands. So you're kind of in a situation where... If you don't get really powerful sets every year, you're in danger of just sinking into the dumpster. And that's something to think about. Do we want every like classic set to be this week? Or do we want every classic and basic set to be a little bit more powerful with at least cards that are average in their power level? So that... You don't just miss out completely once there's a set that just doesn't pan out. Expansion set, Team 5 design, they can design something really cool and really flavorful. But let's say it doesn't light up well against the emerging meta from that expansion. Then the class just takes a break for four months. And that's something that's unfortunate, just hurts meta diversity. Something I would like uh, for them to address in the future. But yeah, Paladin right now and Shaman, they kind of pay the price for weak expansions over the last year and a half. Um, and they're struggling to build good early game and late game strategies that can consistently compete. And this is actually a great segue for what we're hoping to see at the next expansion, because as of the time of this recording, it's June 29th, we should be getting the expansion. It is almost always the second Tuesday of April, August, and December, so it looks like it's targeting August 11th. That is six short weeks away. We should be getting an announcement probably in the next two weeks. What are we hoping to see? Yeah, I expect something like in two weeks. They kind of shorten the period from the announcement of the new expansion to the actual release. So we might be getting something mid-July. I'm just guessing here. But yeah, um, next expansion is going to be really important for reasons that we talked about in the last podcast. And, you know, we know nothing about the new expansion. We have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, every expansion has these new archetypes that can potentially emerge. But I think it's it could be kind of interesting to go over classes that have archetypes that are kind of tier four right now that don't see a lot of play and they don't are not necessarily competitive, but are kind of close to being competitive. And if I we start, we can talk about them a little bit here. And listeners can, you know, take this information and then when they see the new cards, they can think, oh, this is what that deck that we talked about in this podcast was missing. And this could be what upgrades it to a competitive deck. So I think we can have like an interesting 
run around around all the classes and go over them one by one. So if if we're if we're gonna start, we're gonna start with Demon Hunter, right? Yes. So the first wish thing on the wish list is not print cards that are good in aggro Demon Hunter. That's the first thing that we need to worry about. So try to avoid late game damage. More damage and more direct damage would probably be a bit problematic. Or really good early game that can, you know... If Amani Berserker is good enough in this deck, then I, I don't want to think about what a good early game minion can do for this uh, archetype in the new expansion. But... Demon Hunter has really interesting playstyles in terms of defensive strategies. And the control shell, as, as we talked about, or the combo shell, you have a lot of card draw and you have a lot of removal. You just need something that can kind of help you win the game in the late game once you survive to that point, which is what these combo slash control archetypes are missing. You also have uh, Big Demon Hunter, which is like cheating out big demons that never panned out because it doesn't have the threat density. It has tempo abilities, abilities to just gain tempo and maybe win faster matchups. But if you play a bunch of big statted idiots in the late game, they just get removed by other classes and they don't really, you know, put you over the finish line. So some inevitability in Demon Hunter's late game that's not necessarily tied to damage so that Aggro Demon Hunter just doesn't get more damage and more reach uh, in its already powerful uh, late game. So you're saying you want Pit Commander to be good? Because I also would like Pit Commander to be good. Yeah, exactly. Something that Pit Commander can recruit from the deck that can kind of be a, a, a situation that the opponent like, if you don't deal with this right now, I'm going to win. Rather than I'm going to deal 7 damage unless I get Shadow War Death or shield slammed, or sapped, or etc. So when you look at Druid, right? So right now we have this Spell Druid uh, with uh, Overgrowth and Mound Seller. But there's also like Big Druid hanging around that's not spell-centric. And what's promising about Big Druid is that it's really good against Warrior. because And Wind Guardian is specifically a card that can be good against both Warrior and Demon Hunter. So if you could incentivize the usage of more minions, more big minions rather than spells, I can see Druid abusing Overgrowth, not necessarily to get to a Mount Settler spells turn, but get to drop big things, big defensive bodies that can just, you know, close down the the pathway to the face for things like Warrior and Demon Hunter, which can be effective. Or, uh, you know, people forgot all about Quest Druid. But what if they print uh, an interesting choose one card that's really nutty with untapped potential? That could bring Questroid back to the meta. Or uh, we've got Trend Synergy as well in Druid. Right now there's this Trend deck that runs Garden Gnomes. And the deck is kind of outclassed by Spell Druid because it's really bad. It's even worse against into Risky Skippers because you don't go tall. You only go wide which is pretty bad against Warrior. Uh, but again, if you can bring some more payoffs for Trend Synergy, then that R-Type is close. It's not that far away from being competitive. So Druid, Spell Druid is already kind of very much refined and, and figure out and can definitely get some upgrades that increases the consistency of that. But personally, I'm kind of curious about what happens to like big and big and druids because strength in numbers is a hell of a card and they have potential to line up well against warrior and demon hunter if they increase their consistency and that deck it's it's not like that deck lost a lot of course losing zilliax is a big deal and every deck that lost zilliax really feels it still to this minute uh but it's not that it lost stuff versus other classes gain stuff or rather a new class was created but if we talk about decks that lost stuff, we should talk about Quest Hunter and losing Leroy is such a big deal. Is there any way for that to come back? Uh, sure, you can just increase the token synergy and provide more payoffs for the quest. Um, and then that deck could potentially come back. But again, Quest, quest Hunter's problem is it goes wide, which is really bad into Risky Skipper. And it doesn't have good defensive tools, which leaves it very vulnerable um, to Demon Hunter. So I'm kind of 
lower on the my enthusiasm for Hunter in general. Uh, I don't expect to see any dragons in this expansion because you know dragons have been pushed enough last year, so they're probably gonna uh, go into like beast territory. The problem with Hunter, the way I see it going to the next expansion, I find it personally unlikely that we'll see a new archetype emerge. Not necessarily because I haven't seen any of new cards. Maybe they they do uh, end up being making a new deck in the new expansion that can be good defensively. But generally, they don't do that. They don't view Hunter as a deck with like defensive tools and reactive tools and and things like uh, good taunts. and thing. So, so it just leaves it very vulnerable to something like Demon Hunter to smack it in the face, which is the reason why we don't see Beast Hunter right now. Because I, I think you remember that Midrange Hunter has traditionally, over the history of the game, been very, very vulnerable to just weapon classes that smack it in the face. Because it, other than Houndmaster, it doesn't have good ways to defend itself. It doesn't have life gain. It doesn't have very good standalone taunts. It kind of relies on having the initiative and pressuring. So when it gets smacked in the face, it kind of dies. Uh, so I expect to see some, maybe some beast synergy. But again, as I said, I'm a bit skeptical of Hunter's new Hunter deck's ability to challenge what's currently happening. Yeah, it's it's been board-centric for as long as I can remember, and really the, the Hunter for a long time has been try to be even or ahead on board going in a six and then stick a high main, and that's kind of fallen out of favor just because cards are so much more powerful these days, and it feels like Savannah high main as a, as a top-end threat isn't going to get there, and any kind of beast deck would probably be built around the idea of of high main as being a key part of it. So, curious to see if uh, if there's a new direction for Hunter to go with beast synergy or otherwise. Now, there are some classes that I think are are closer than others, and Mage I think is a great example, both in minionless Mage and also some stealthy builds of Mana Giant Cyclone Mage are are doing okay. They're almost there. What's the last thing that they need to get pushed over the edge? Mage is probably the most exciting class for me personally in the new expansion because it's got tools in nine Highlander decks that can potentially be good against Warrior and Demon Hunter. The first thing you have to remember, a card called Deep Freeze, which is an insanely good card against both Demon Hunter and Warrior. And, you know, we're already starting to see, like, it's a fringe deck like the puzzle box deck with like dragon caster that cheats out deep freeze that is one of the most effective plays in these matchups and when highlander mages win a lot of times in these matchups it's because they managed to cheat out a deep freeze and also spell mage it's got arcane mysteries to tutor secrets that are really good against demon hunter flameward and iceberry it can cheat out Deep Freeze, not from Dragoncaster, but by playing Encanter's Flow, then drawing a discounted Deep Freeze and playing it earlier. So both Spell Mage and like Dragoncaster-centric Mage decks have the potential to be really powerful against these two specific classes because Deep Freeze is just so good against them. Just completely shuts them down. So I'm looking forward to seeing whether we can see decks that run Deep Freeze and just improve in other aspects that currently keep them on the fringes of the meta, and whether you can you can bring Deep Freeze into the meta in a big way, and that can really shake things up. But there's also another mage archetype, which is the Mana Cyclone or Mana Giant Mage, that plays you know a bunch of generated spells and then cheats out the Mana Giant. That deck is also almost there. And one of the great things about it is that you do stuff in the early game, you can clear and remove things in the board, and you're still developing for a big swing later because of the Mana Giants, which is also something that could potentially be good against the top classes in the format right now. So I'm really looking forward to things that help Spell Mage, and you don't need necessarily the cards to read if your deck has no minions. You can think about direct damage can help the deck, close out, they can start running a Pixis Blast alongside Fireball and more damage, which means that they can finish the game more easily through just over-the-top burst. That's one way to look at it. You can have Mage receiving new spells that generate minions 
that can help the archetypes development of the board because it kind of misses minions. Uh, so things like uh, a spellstone like Hunter God um, back in Kobolds really helped Spellhunter be a real deck because you you had threats that you can generate from spells rather than minions from the deck. Uh, so that's something to consider. And then obviously card draw, so which could be very helpful in increasing the consistency and the potency of Encanter's Flow. Because you play Encanter's Flow, it's a card that does nothing by itself. You kind of need to draw discounted things afterwards in order to get the ball rolling. So look for that. Look for ways to improve a Mana Giant uh, Mage. Those two archetypes have a great potential to potentially topple the top meta decks right now by just increasing their power level across the board. And there are so many different directions for a mage to go as well. Even if it got a Primordial Glyph equivalent, that improvement would be immediate and substantial. Exactly. There are a lot of ways you can improve Spell Mage with cards that are not necessarily like Brute Force if you have no minions. That's what you need to look at. Every mage new card, look for that kind of synergy. Right. Just like Paladin does not need more Librams, it needs more win conditions. It's It doesn't need more pure cards. It needs more win conditions. And it'd be okay if they printed more pure cards. It'd be okay if they printed another uh, strong class Paladin Murloc. And be okay if they printed more Librams. But really, what we're looking for here, card draw and ways to end the game definitively. Yeah. I, I, I saw someone uh, post on the Vicious Syndicate Discord um, like it was, I think it was a three mana, a, a four mana spell that read draw four cards, discard any neutrals, non class cards. And I said, Oh, that looks good, just make it three mana, then we'll really get somewhere. Yeah, pure paladin wants card draw, liberum paladin decks in general, not necessarily pure ones, want to have a more consistent ways of drawing the liadrins and the and the librams. Uh, so that they, their late game is a bit more stable. But also, they want a button to press that's like something that works, maybe works very well with cheap spells. Not necessarily like, a, a, you know, Control Paladins, uh, Librem Paladins right now, run Mount Cellar. The difference is that Mount Cellar and Paladin, you have to play it on turn 7. You cannot ramp to it. So the card is just very, very slow. And you also don't have Savage Roar. So something that maybe you can... Use the Librams to abuse, take advantage of cheap spells that you have in your in your plethora of, of in your kit and try to leverage that into some win condition. We'll have to see. And when it comes to Murloc Paladin, it probably needs more either tempo swings, ability to come back from behind, or alternatively, just bigger stats, just bigger minions in the early game. That, it's, that make it harder for a warrior or a demon hunter to interact. So look for those. Not a Sunkeeper Terum specifically, but something equivalent of both a, a, a flexible uh, control tool as well as a way to enhance your threats is kind of what all of these archetypes are looking for. Now looking at priests, it seems like they've moved away from the res mechanic in, in a pretty major way. I don't know if they'll be going back because they made it pretty clear that it wasn't something that players really loved. So I'm wondering what direction they go, and do you think they move towards kind of the the tempo interfire minion buff direction they've been going in? Do you think they move towards death rattles? What do you see them doing? So Pris is one of the trickiest classes, I think, to build towards in the next expansion, and the reason is that any, uh, any control tools that you print are probably going to go into Galakorn Priest because the Galakorn package is just so strong in the late game. I find it very hard to envision um, a, a Control Priest deck passing up the Galakorn package. So if you print cards that are like good removal, and it's probably going to just go into Galakorn Priest and you didn't really change anything, you could potentially make that deck stronger. That's, that's pretty much. So what we might see, I'm only speculating, is a focus on the early game of Priest. And Priest got two good ways right now, two good uh, potential pathways to develop a more aggressive, initiative-focused deck uh, in, in the next meta, which is one is like the inner fire approach, 
where you don't have Divine Spirit anymore, but you can still play a bunch of high health minions in the early game and, and buffs and leverage that into use just Inner Fire as this kind of buff finisher, cold blood kind of thing uh, in order to pressure opponents. And what I like about that potential avenue is that when you're running a lot of high health minions in the early game, it's awkward for Demon Hunter to remove them. Demon Hunter likes to kill a lot of small things. Warrior, same thing, likes to likes to go into a wide board and kills a lot of small things with Risky Skipper. But if you play a, if you go tall and you pressure uh, with high health minions, it might get awkward for these decks. Another way is Death Rattle. There's a lot of strong Death Rattle synergy uh, in Priest. Uh, Wretched Reclaimer. You've got the uh, Grand Mummy. You've got some things that can help build towards like a Death Rattle sticky Priest deck. That again has minions that are hard to remove. You can run Serpent Egg or things like that. Things people try this early on and it kind of whiffed because you didn't have the card draw to sustain into the late game. But maybe if you design, I don't know, a card draw mechanic that's reliant on death rattles, that can really push that R type forward because it can just keep going, not whiff, not fizzle out the moment its board gets removed. So these are I'm looking at priests, I'm looking at the early game. Potentially developing new things that are not necessarily good in Galcon Priest, but good in tempo-focused initiative decks that want to pressure early. And get, that can also line up okay against the current uh, dominant decks of the format. The amount of tools that Priest has available right now, it's actually, it's, it's got quite a bit going on. Really, I'm just worried about how they're going to deal with base damage from Demon Hunter. And that seems to be... Kind of what we're going to talk about with every single class here. Can you deal with about 30 damage from hand from Demon Hunter? Like, can you keep up with that? Can you keep up with their card draw? And I think a class that actually might be able to keep up is actually doing okay against Demon Hunter right now is Rogue. But will we see any kind of Rogue that does not play Galakron? Yeah, Rogue exactly is in, in a similar position of Priest where it's very hard to envision a late-game strategy that just passes on, on Galakron. So in order to try to make new rogue decks, you probably want to try and develop strong aggressive decks, uh, like a, a good aggro rogue deck that doesn't want to play slow cards like Devoted Maniac or Shield, uh, Shield of Galakron. So you want to maybe help give rogue some early-game burst or some strong minions that it can... Again, avoid getting blown out by warriors and demon hunters in the early game and allow it to just pressure consistently uh, through all portions of the game. Because right now, Agro Rogue's problem is that it runs out of gas very quickly. And once its initial assault uh, is dealt with, it's very difficult for it to continue to sustain pressure, even with Greyheart Sage. And it also doesn't have enough good stealth minions. So I'm wondering if they're going to continue to support stealth and secret synergy and try to push these synergies for, uh, to the point where it might be worth it to drop Galakron in order to house more of them, or they try to build into a, a different direction altogether. will be interesting to see. I expect to see more aggressive uh, rogue support because I think it's very difficult to get people to give up on Galakron. It's just so strong. Blizzard, if you're listening, Coldblood did nothing wrong. Coldblood did nothing wrong. Make Odd Rogue better and wild. Give us back Coldblood. Uh, can you imagine turn one Spy Mistress, turn two Praise Galakron Coldblood, eat ya? That sounds good. Yeah. Doesn't sound good for the opponent, but... Yeah. Uh, it's whatever. They'll just play Bone Chewer Brawler and, and they'll Og Merchant our 8-1. That's how they'll get them. We we still dealt eight. Yes. Well, it's, it has, sometimes damage just you just gotta get damage in. So we already talked a good bit about shaman. Uh, it needs it needs help in a lot of places. Totem is surprisingly close, but it needs to stick on the board. Uh, really remains to be seen if they give either better tools for shaman to get on the board early, or close out the game late, or do anything. Yeah, pretty much. We need we need. Early game that is stickier and harder to push off the board in order to be able to resist 
Demon Hunters and Warriors' excellent removal and ability to push them out. Uh, so something like Totem Shaman probably needs extra stickiness, maybe a new totem that helps it, maybe more early game minions or ways to swing, maybe some discount, mana discount mechanics that are related to totems. Things like that can really help. And on the late game, as I said, needs a real win condition. It's got the removal. It's even got decent life gain. It just needs a way to force the issue and win. So it's it's close in a bunch of ways, but it's there in none of them. Sounds about right. Uh, now, Warlock, what it needs... I don't know. Two more Scrap Imps? Is that what it needs? Probably a way... I would say a way to increase the consistency and its ability to threaten in the early game. Uh, because right now, it's too focused on Imprisoned Scrap Imp. And if it doesn't... Um, have in prison scrap it it just plays too fairly so just ways to power up the early game of zoo uh is necessary in order to see it come back to the meta it's got some tools right now it's also got decent longevity and card draw with hand of gul'dan so those are things are neat but it probably needs a more explosive early game in order to be able to compete with the classes that i mentioned above when it comes to the late game it's already got quest warlock which is a pretty good deck so you got to watch out for things that are really powerful when they're discounted or things that are really powerful when you draw a lot of cards. They could help Quest Warlock become more powerful. But I probably expect to see um, new archetypes completely, completely new archetypes being supported in this expansion because all the other decks are kind of fleshed out, right? Galakorn Warlock, you know, we've been there. I don't expect to see it uh, any more support of it. So probably some new win condition that Warlock can aim towards could be nice to d- diversify the class. Yeah, as of right now, it's it's just kind of hope you hit the Maligos and hope you hit the, uh, or if you're playing Zoo, hope you hit the Scrap Imp. And really, the, the difference between a 4-set meta and a 5-set meta, we're going to notice it no matter what, just because the average card quality for every class is going to go up so significantly that your worst cards are going to get a lot better, and that's really what matters. Um, and except for this last class here, Warrior, the real hope they have is that other classes don't get good cards because it doesn't need much. It already has a fully fleshed out set of archetypes. As long as Skipper and Cash are untouched, it's going to be hard for Warrior to not be a thing. So what do you hope they get and, and do they even need anything? They don't probably don't need much, but I would hope for a warrior to get support in like entirely new archetypes or like non-bomb control warriors that currently sit deep in tier four. Um, you know, they, they have the similar issue of like shamans where they don't really have a way to force the issue. So a lot of players just go the Highlander route in order to have the dragon queen, Alex Raza. but that deck is not very good right now. But again, it's kind of close. It's not that far away. So I can see if, if they incentivize a way to push a new win condition that isn't tied to bombs, then I can see that deck emerging because a control warrior deck has potential to be good against bomb warrior and enrage warrior. So if a control warrior deck emerges at a good power level, it can kind of tone down the power levels through good mirror matchup. It can just, you know, beat down on the enrage and the bomb warriors in theory again. Not in practice. Uh, right now, you've got a control warrior deck that's really, really narrow. You can build it to be very good against Agro Demon Hunter, and you can build it to be very good against Enrage Warrior at the same time. But then you just have no chance of ever beating something like Priest. I saw Fibonacci. Uh, he's only playing control warrior, right? And he tweeted out his statistics for the month, and he went something like one nineteen or one twenty against Priest. Like, it's like a miserable matchup. So you got to give Warrior ways, uh, new ways to find inevitability that isn't tied to bombs. And then we might see a new archetype pop up again. And, well, we'll see what happens. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. We're going to wind down here. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We're, we're as excited for the new expansion as you are. Hopefully we'll have more information about that by the time we record in about a week and a half. Um, as a reminder, the next report going to be on july 9th after that we should have the podcast for that week's report out on july 11th that's the saturday uh 
any feedback you have, please feel free to write us, tweet us, uh, comment on our Reddit posts for the report. And big thanks to Steven Sensei for our intro and outro bites, as always. Any final thoughts, Zach? Play Agra Demon Hunter. That list is a nut, is the nuts. People are smashing ladder with it right now. Amani Berserker, top tier card in 2020. What a weird year. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. <laughs>